so glad that you're here today, and um, I believe that God has a word for you today. We have actually been in um, a standalone series. We normally do um, books of the Bible. Um, we actually just got through not too long ago going through the whole book of Acts. I encourage you to, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, and if you're new here, I, I encourage you to go and listen to that. But every now and then, we, we want to take some time and just hear from the Lord. And, and in fact, today, I mean, even the message today that I'll be sharing with you guys, um, I was just spending some time with my daughter. We were just kind of reading through the book of John, just having a good time fellowshipping in the Word. And, and God just really spoke some things to me out of John during that time. And I just want to share that with you today. So let me ask this. Let me start off with a question today. What would you say might be one of the most recognized verses of Scripture in the Bible? Just throw a few of them out. Ah, I heard it. John 3.16 is definitely probably one of the most recognized verses. Even if you're not a Christian and you haven't heard, you don't know much about the faith, if you heard about the Bible, John 3.16. And this is what it says. What does it say? For God so loved the world, right? And, and a better way to say this actually is, this is how God loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. A beautiful passage. A beautiful passage. Um, it really expresses God's heart for this world, for his creation. Well, there might be another verse that I would say is in the top five least popular verses in the Bible, since we're going to go here. I don't see this one on coffee tables. I don't see people with this tattoo anywhere on their body at all. So let's go ahead and hit this one too. This is in 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So wait a minute now. Hold on. So in the Gospel of John, we see how God so loved the world, right? But then in John's epistle, we're actually instructed not to love the world or even the things in it. Somebody say, hmm, hmm. There's some tension here, right? How many of y'all know that all tension isn't bad tension? In fact, anybody here that exercises, you know, some of y'all do it on purpose, all right? <laughs> and then there's other people like me that I... I just need to do it. I'm just walking and it's just, there's some resistance happening, all right? There's resistance. You know, there, there's some tension when I, whoo, 5,000 steps, Jesus. I got to get 5,000. I'm trying to get them 10,000 every day. I'm working on it, y'all. But as I'm doing it, there's resistance. But that, that, that tension actually is good. It's actually helping build my system up, right? And here's the thing. As a Christian, there should be a healthy, wise, and informed tension when it comes to our relationship with this world, with this world. So here's the thing. What's God's heart here? What kind of relationship does God want us to have with the world? Whose world is this? It's a question that many of us might be wondering. Does it even have a leader? Does this world have a leader? 
Is everything in this world bad? Some stuff neutral? Um, is, is it what we make of it? Like, what, what, what's going on here? Should, should I hate the world? God says don't love it. Should I hate it? Because I thought Jesus said that we are supposed to love our enemies and love our neighbors as ourselves. So we got some work to do, right? We got some work to do today. Y'all like, man, we do got some work to do. So we're going to be in John 17. I entitled today's message, what in the world? What in the world? And this is a phrase I use a lot, especially when I don't understand quite what's going on in the situation, right? You see something crazy and you're like, what in the entire world, all right? This is what I say. Now, let's talk about this biblically for a minute. First, this word, world, actually in its original language is cosmos, and it's cosmos with a K, okay? Cosmos. And it shows up well over 200 times all throughout the Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. And this same word can have more than one meaning, okay? It's okay that the word has more than one meaning, all right? For all of us that grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, at one point, if something was bad, it actually was good, right? Michael Jackson bad, all right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? If you made a bad grade, that's not good, but Michael Jackson bad was, it was okay, right? I'm bad, I'm bad, y'all, y'all know, all right? <laughs> Nowadays, my daughter and her generation, they were like, dad, that's gas, and I'm like, hold on. <laughs> that's probably not, what, gas, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, so gas can have two different meanings as well, right? And I hope that it's not the one I was thinking of at first, but that ain't cool, all right? So what, are these, what, what does world mean? So one way, the world is the whole of everything created. When we talk about world, sometimes when the Bible talks about world, it's speaking that way. We used to sing a song. He got the whole world in his hand, right? He got the whole world in his hand. Or it could be speaking to the people, humanity, humanity as a whole, all the people who dwell on the earth, God's image Bearers. That's what John 3.16 is saying. For God so loved his image bearers. God so loved those that he made in his image and his likeness. God so loved those people that he breathed life into that he gave his only son. But then there's another way that the word world is being used that we need to really pay attention to today. And this is talking about human existence that desires to keep God out. There's a hostility towards the creator, towards God. This type of world is a system, it's a way of thinking, it's actually ruled by Satan. Now, obviously, this way is bad, and it ain't Michael Jackson bad, all right? So how do we know when it's bad? We know it's bad because when the scripture refers to it as a way of keeping God out, as a way of us not considering his purposes, not considering his will, not considering what he desires for us, or any way that simply goes against God or God's word. We know that that is not a good definition of the word world. In fact, in James 4.4, it says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world Watch this, makes himself an enemy of God. You don't want to be an enemy of God. That's a deadly relationship. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, Pastor Chris, you're talking about the world and everything. The world, 
I'm up in here today. I'm. A, it ain't like I don't. I don't think that I'm all that worldly, or you know that I'm. I'm like that because the world has not been kind to me. When I think about this world, when I think about things that have happened in this world, uh, it, 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 it feels like the weight of the world has been on my shoulders. When I look at God's image bearers, they've disappointed me. When I when I've gone to the church, you know they, they've let me down. There's been natural disasters in my life. There's been emotional disasters in my life. There's been financial disasters in my life. If you name it, you'd be like, I could care less about this world. However, can I say this? All those things that happen to you, all those circumstances, all those different people that have played a part in your life, all that has actually shaped your view of God. All those things have given you a worldview. Your view of this world determines your worldview. The reason why we call it a worldview is because this is how you see things. This is how you philosophize. This is how you internalize. This is how you start to process things because of your experience. And how you see things impacts how you live. That's why we say, this is your walk. And everybody here, whether you like it or not, you walk by faith and not by sight. You walk by what you believe. The way you live your life is based on what you believe and what view you have. Now, if we're all honest with each other right now, most of us probably don't know how worldly we are. Think about it. When was the last time you asked yourself that question? When was the last time you said, how, how worldly am I? What, what is my worldview? Let me, let me make it more specific. What areas of my life am I pushing away or leaving God out? What areas am I leaving God out? Let me say it like this for the record. Worldliness can be very subtle. It can be very subtle. Can be very subtle. It's very sneaky. Very sneaky. Why? Because all of us were born into it. We were born into this world. We were born into a way of thinking. Even from the time we're kids, I don't, you know, we don't have to talk about it. Y'all got little kids. Y'all know good and well, as much as you call them angel. <laughs> I ain't gonna say the other word, they might be. All right, but. You know that you didn't even teach them these things, but they're doing it because they're born into it. They're born worldly. They're born into the ways of this world. It's second nature to us to be this way. And here's the thing. It gets even more tricky. And this is where it gets really tricky. It gets very tricky because a lot of times it can have an appearance of godliness. It can have an appearance of morality. Okay? A lot of times it's just good people, good country folk doing good country things, right? It's just good. It has an appearance of that, but the Bible says it has an appearance of godliness, but it lacks the power. In other words, it looks good, but it actually is not connected to God because it's still leaving God out. Good people doing good things, but leaving God out. Like, what are you talking about, Pastor Chris? Let's look at our grandparents. Grandpa Adam, Grandma Eve, y'all know how I refer to them. That's where all of us came from, whether you like it or not. 
We all in the same family. We, we came from both of them. They were good people. They were made in God's image and his likeness. And very subtly, worldliness crept in. They listened to what Satan said. Now, here's the thing. It's very subtle because here's the thing. The, the question that they really ask themselves in their mind is, what's the problem with just eating some fruit? What's the problem? See, God said, listen, y'all can have all this. I want you to rule over it. You were made in my image and likeness. Leave this tree alone. Don't fool with this tree. It ain't good. Leave it alone. Satan, what does he say? Did God say? Did God say? Did he say that? Very subtle. Because here's the problem. What's wrong with just eating some fruit? I mean, I've been here. I'm, we over here. We're ruling the world. We're over here. All I want to do is just eat a little bit of fruit. It's very subtle because it leaves God out. Let's look at our cousins at the Tower of Babel, all right? Our cousins at the Tower of Babel, here's the thing. What's wrong with everybody being on one accord, speaking the same language, and all we want to do is make a little building? All we want to do is, what's wrong with growing, making a little building? The problem was, again, they left God out. It's very subtle. No, there's nothing wrong with being on one accord. No, there's nothing wrong with building a building, but it is. If your one accord ain't got nothing to do with God, if your building don't want to have anything to do with God, if eating fruit has nothing to do with God, and even us now, even us now, what's the problem with canceling somebody if they've been rude, right? What's the problem with talking about people, gossiping about them, whatever, saying whatever we want to say, because we're actually kind of helping them out. Listen, there's a lot of lies that are very subtle that we believe. And the problem is this. This is how you always know if it's worldliness or not. It's because you want to leave as a temptation. You can feel it to leave God out of the equation. Here's the good news. Jesus knew this. And Jesus has equipped his disciples to function with a kingdom view when we're dealing with this world. So what we're going to do today, actually, we're going to be in John chapter 17, so if you got your Bible, you want to turn to John 17. And what I love is that we're actually going to zoom in on Jesus's prayer. Man, we get a chance. It's just, every time I come across this scripture, it just I, my heart just overflows with joy because I'm like, here is Jesus praying to God the Father. And, and what I love about this is that it's a prophetic prayer. So he was praying for his disciples then but he also was actually praying for us in 2022. Can anybody say, can anybody say amen about that? I'm glad that Jesus was praying for us even in this passage. And you're going to hear it come out very clearly. So John 17, jump in verse 13. What does it say? But now I am coming to you and these things I speak. Now he says, now I'm coming to you. He's talking to the Father. He's praying. He's already, kind of, he's already started to prayer some and he got into this place. And he's saying, I'm coming to you, Lord. And these things that I speak, I speak in the world that they, they being his disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus right here is praying and he tells the father that I have something that I've deposited into my disciples and it's called joy. He knew that his disciples would need something that this world did not have and that this world could not possess. And that's joy. Now, 
I want, I want, I'm not going to spend a lot of time and go into what, what joy is, but what you need to know that joy is a lot different than happiness, right? Happiness is based on happenstance. It's based on your circumstances. Joy is something that you can have no matter what's going on in your circumstances, all right? And Jesus went even further in John chapter 14. When you get a chance, go back and read John chapter 14 because he even broke down some other stuff that he left his people. He said it like this in John, in John 14, 17, he says, that, he said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So basically he's saying, listen, here's something else that I've given them. Not only have I given them my joy, I've also given them my spirit that the world can't receive. Do you realize that the spirit of God is in us? Amen. Listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, some of y'all say, well, what, what, what was going on there? You, you go down a couple verses, and, and then you get to the next chapter, and you see he says, let us make man in our image and likeness. Let us. He didn't say let me. He said let us. That means in eternity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Even in the second verse of the scripture, you say that the spirit hovers over the water. What's amazing me is that spirit that was there during creation, that spirit that dwells with God in eternity. Jesus says, that spirit I'm leaving with my disciples in this world. Praise God. Not only that, but he said in, in verse 27 of John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I, I give to you? So he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So you, do you see what's happening here? Jesus is like, look, I gave them my spirit, I gave them my peace, uh, I, I gave them my joy, and even with the spirit, there comes some attachments. Y'all know the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Against such there is no law. This, these are the things that Jesus has left. So he starts his prayer praying to the Lord saying, these are some things that I've left for my people. Now, here's the thing. I got some good news for you in this world and some bad news. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I like the bad news first. All right. So here's the bad news. There is no hope in this world. There's no hope in this world. Now, here's the thing. On a good day, <laughs> when your stomach is full and your pockets are full and the weather's nice, you get the parking space up front wherever you're going, nobody in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, you just go through there. Um, you went down Market Street and you caught all the green lights. Y'all like, I'll wait for that day to come, right? On those days, I can't convince you that the world is hopeless. In the immortal words of Ice Cube, today was a good day. All right? That's what you would say. But on a bad day, when finances are crazy, when your marriage is rocky, when unemployment hits, when your kids are wilding out and losing their mind, when there's sickness in your body, when your car gets broken into, when there's accidents, and when your anxiety is raging, then this world looks shaky and it becomes very sobering and you hope that there can be some healing and you hope there can be some saving. You hope there can be some restoration. See, here's the thing. There's no hope in this world, 
But there is hope for this world. There's hope for this world. You're not going to find it in it. You're going to have to find it somewhere else. Now, where does this hope come from? Where does this hope come from? Jesus is praying about it. Let's read and see what he says. Look at verse 14. He says, I have given them your word. I have given them your voice. I have given them what you got to say because you're the one that created this thing and you didn't create it for it to fall. You didn't create it to, to, for there to be lies. You didn't create it for there to be sickness. You didn't create it to be anxiety. You didn't create it that way. So I had to give them something that would speak into the hopelessness in this world. And it says this, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. If you're trying to get the world to love you, it's not going to work. The world don't even like the world. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I'll think about that for a minute. I'll let you chew on that. <laughs> Jesus says, just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Man, sometimes I do wish that that was the case. I wish that as soon as I signed up for Jesus that he said, hey, Chris, come on home, son. <laughs> But Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Does this sound like a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here we go. Sanctify them in the truth. If you're wondering what the truth is, it says what? Your word is what? Truth. God's voice is truth. All Jesus has been doing up until this point is been letting people know the heart of his father. He says, I am the father and one. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling y'all what, what, what the father is telling me to tell y'all. This is what's been happening. See, our hope for this world is in God's word. It's in God's word. It's in God's voice. His voice sanctifies us. His voice is what separates us. It's what makes us different. And the word is truth because it sets you free. (laughs) It sets you free. It sustains you. It will carry you. It will remind you that your hope is greater than anything that this world could ever offer you. Now, here's the thing. You say, "How, how does sanctification work, Pastor Chris? How does it work? What is it, when Jesus talks about this sanctification, how does it work? See, all right, sanctification. What is sanctification? It is the, the inner working. It's the internalization of God's word. It's the internalization of God's truth. Anybody here? Austin, could you grab me that water bottle? Anybody here like a good ribeye? All right, my man. Listen, I like a ribeye. I think it's the best cut of steak. That's out there, because they, they leave a little bit of fat in there, and that fat kind of seasons in that steak. And you know you got a good ribeye when it just melts in your mouth. Like you just, pow, and, ah, just dissolves in your mouth. You swallow, and it's really good. I'm like, man, I love, oh, thank you, Jesus, for ribeye. Thank you, cow, for sacrificing for me during this time, all right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine chewing on it and tasting it, but never swallowing it. 
Imagine how torturous it actually be to always chew on something and taste it, but you never can actually swallow it and digest it. See, sanctification is the internalization. It ain't just the chewing, it's the actual swallowing. See, sometimes a lot of people, they hear God's word, it sounds great, and it might have an impact because you hear it, right? You, you, you see it, you read it, and you hear it. You come to church, you hear it, and you see it, you hear it and see it, but you need to swallow it. And when you swallow it, that's called trusting and obeying God's word. That's what sanctifies you. That's what the internalization of God's truth and God's word. Don't just talk about it. Don't just hear it. Don't just have conversations. How are you walking it out? How are you obeying it? How are you telling yourself to trust it? How are you saying, like, Lord, even though this situation is crazy, you're still good? Swallow it. See, listen, we have so much worldliness in us, y'all. We have to begin a new diet of God's word. See, when we ingest his word, we, we're sanctified by truth. And here's what's so great is that we get to combat the lies of this world. Now, here's the thing. As I told y'all before, the way Satan is referred to in the scripture is that he's the God of this age. He's the prince of this air, prince of the air. He's the ruler of the world. You read in Job how he's going to and fro from heaven and there. So this is, he set up a system that's hostile against God. Sometimes he he does it very subtly. Sometimes it might be very obvious that it's hostile, but he's doing that and he's indoctrinating us and all of it's set up and grounded in lies because he is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. So you have to understand that there's a lot of lies that we believe. There's a lot of lies that we believe. Some of you here today, Every time you get around people and you get around, you start seeing people doing well, you say to yourself, I'll never be nothing. My father was nothing. I come from nothing. My family was from nothing. I can't kick this habit. But what does God's word say? What does, what does, what does God say about you as his image bearer? He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, son. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, daughter. Some of you, it's like life is pointless. You only live once, so what's the point in living on purpose and doing this? I'm just going to live vicariously and do whatever I want to do. But do you understand that all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose? He is taking all the crap. He's taking all the mess. He's taking all that. If you would just trust him, you can live on purpose because he is making all that work together for your good. Some of us are like, it doesn't matter who I sleep around with. It's just sex. No. Do you know what God's word says? He says this. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Do you understand your value, son? Do you understand your value, daughter? God cares so much about your body that he wants to glorify you to this world through your body. So no, you don't need to sleep around with everybody. It needs to be in a godly marriage. Some of you say, where is God? Where is God if he's so good? Why has he allowed so much bad in my life, Pastor Chris? 
Wait, does, does God even care? I hear all that, but I'm, I'm, I am where I am because of all the things that have happened to me. Do you know what his word says? Did you chew on a little bit? Did you, did you ingest it? Because I know that his word says the Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you know you got that kind of God in your life? The creator of the universe, I know you've been so distant and you, you think he's so far. He's the kind of God that wants to quiet you with his love. He will actually sing over you. I wonder, I'm like, Lord, what, what kind of song are you singing over me? He says, sing it loudly. You ever sing songs over your children? I love my, my wife has always made little songs up for all our kids. They're all grown now, so she can't sing them no more. It's embarrassing for them. But you know those songs that just come out of your heart as a parent that you just made up as you sing that over your child. That's the kind of God that you have. And you're wondering where he is. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. See, this world is ruled by Satan. And we need the truth to sanctify us from the lies of the world. I hope you're encouraged and I hope you know this. But then Jesus takes it a step further. We're going to look at the end of this prayer. Look at verse 18. It says, as you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I've been set apart to go into this world. Now, I know we've heard the phrase before that you're, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And that is true. But a lot of times we miss out on what this is getting at in verse 18 and 19. I think a better way to say it is like this. We're not of this world, but we've been sent into this world. Because see, some people, when they read that, all they want to do is retreat. But we're not called to retreat, right? We're not called to hide as Christians. We're not called to be afraid of the world. We're actually called to engage it. Because, you know, when Jesus said, hey, Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. Because here's the thing. If Jesus never came and engaged his enemies, never engaged the people that came against him, none of us would be standing here right now. The only way that people are going to come into the kingdom is for God to send kingdom, kingdom people into their lives. And here's the good news is that no matter how crazy this world gets, Christ overcame the world. We witness how he defeated Satan. You can read Matthew chapter 4 if you really want to see a personal encounter that he had with Satan. But look what he did. How did he handle Satan? He handled Satan using God's word, internalizing his word. He was weak and he was tired, but what was in him came out. And he spoke to Satan and he spoke to that. And Satan, the ruler of this world, even in one time, he tried to offer him the rules. He said, brought him up to a high place. Say, hey, if you bow down and worship me, I'll let you rule this. And I'll let you rule this. Rule He's like, no, I only worship the Lord. This is how he speaks. Listen, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And if, and if we lose our saltiness, what, what use do we have? We're the salt. This is the only time I'm giving you permission to shake it like a salt shaker. All right. You need to be salty. We need to be sprinkling salt all over this earth. Salt is a preservative. You know, it's a preservative. 
It's one of those things that this world actually needs. And that's what we've done. That's what we've been sent into. And the reason why I love this so much is because here's the thing. In this world, we have many sorrows. We face a lot of things. But here's what you got to understand. We're ambassadors, y'all. This is, this, is, this is foreign land to us. We represent a place. We represent a kingdom. And we're here, and we're going to seek the good of the city. We're going to engage it. But we know that we have a place that's better for us, a place that's better for our family, a place where there won't be any tears anymore, where there won't be any crying anymore, there won't be any sin anymore. It's a place that we all have that Jesus has prepared for us. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be a new Wilmington. A new Carolina beach and a new Riceville beach. Amen. All this is going to be there. But do you trust them? Do you trust them? I'm going to close here. Do you know the difference between a hospice and a hospital? Here's the thing. A hospital is a place where sick people can go to have hope to be healed. Right? You go to the hospital... No matter how grim it is, the whole point is that you, you're going there because you want to be healed. You want to get better. That's why you're there in the hospital. A hospice, on the, other, on the other hand, and this is no slight to those that do hospice care at all, but the whole point of hospice is to help you feel comfortable as you face a terminal illness or a terminal sickness, right? Spiritually speaking, the church is to be a hospital. We're the only place that people can have hope to ultimately be healed, to ultimately be saved, to ultimately have peace. Satan is spiritually running a hospice because what he wants to do is to keep us so engulfed in our sin that we're so comfortable that we're in that place until we die without any hope. I hope that our church, hope that you, in your home, at your job, in your community, that you're the kind of person that functions as a place for sick people. That's what Jesus said. I didn't come for those that are well. I came for those that are sick because the sick are the ones who need a doctor. And how many of y'all know that Dr. Jesus has never lost a patient? He's never lost a patient. So I'm going to ask you like this. I'm going to ask you like God asked our grandparents in the garden that day after they had been influenced by worldliness and sin had entered into their, their systems and, and now everything has changed, their worldview has changed. God asked the question. God said this. He said to Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? Where are you? And this is not a geographical question at all. He's asking, what in the world has happened to you? It's like God is saying, what in the world do you want? Some of us, if I could just have this, if, 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 I, if this would just go right in my life, if, if I could just have these things, if, if, if my finances were different. But listen, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Where are you today? Where, 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 where are you today? What in the world can actually heal you? What in this world can actually save you? What in this world can actually satisfy 
you. Nothing. It can't. Money can't satisfy you. It's not in a man or a woman. It's not in drugs. It's not in alcohol. It's not on. It's not social media likes that will satisfy you. What in the world are you looking for? I'm going to tell you right now, you can't find it in the world. It's only in Jesus. There's a brother who was worldly all his entire life, very hostile towards God, very hostile towards anything that the Bible would teach. And then the Holy Spirit made himself real to this brother. Listen to what he says, and I'm going to end on this note. Listen to this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Then he says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Reverend C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite books, Mere Christianity, a man that was an atheist. That, that means atheist, to leave God out. Away from the went from an atheist to a believer. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we realize that we were born into a world where in us was a desire to leave you out, but you loved us so much that you sent your only son. to live a life that we couldn't live, to die a death that we deserve to die, just to call us out of this world, to give us what we really needed, to heal us, to save us, to give us living water, to give us something that was eternal. So God, we stand here today. We ask you to examine our hearts. Show us any area in our life where we desire to push you away and leave you out. And I pray for that brother right now that sister right now that wants to receive you and wants to get to know you. And God, for all of us that do know you, help us to remember your word, to combat the lies of the enemy, and help us also to be salt and light to this world that you sent us into to bring hope. God, we love you. And we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen.